0: pastors here, and today it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in front of the pew in front of you. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, which is one of the Black Bibles. And if you're not super familiar with the Bible, our reading today will appear on page 855 of the Black Bible. The chapter numbers are the big numbers, the verse numbers are the little numbers, and I'll begin reading today under the heading, The Birth of John the Baptist Foretold in verse 5. I'll read down to verse 25, and then we'll ask for the Lord's help on our time together and get to work. In total, it should be around 45 minutes or so. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. This is the word of the Lord. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. And while he was serving as priest before God, when he was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay at the temple. And when he had came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when He looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for grace and mercy, the same grace and mercy that we have sung about today, that we have celebrated at the Lord's table. Would You send Your Holy Spirit in answer to prayer, to help us understand Your Word, to be helped by it, to be convicted by it, and to be comforted by it. For Jesus' sake we ask. Amen. William Cooper lived a sad life. He was born to a wealthy English family in 1731. He lost his mother when he was six years old, an event after which his father largely checked out. He was bullied as a young man. And when he grew up, they sent him off to school to be an attorney. But he had no passion for law, and so he didn't apply himself. Even after graduating, he didn't do much with his degree. He was not a believer in Jesus. He didn't have much passion in life, and he didn't have any direction in life. Through the influence of his father, he was appointed the prestigious job in British Parliament. And it was then, at the age of 32, that Cooper had his first mental breakdown. He attempted suicide, and he was admitted to a mental hospital. Six months into his stay, Cooper found a Bible, and he read Jesus' raising of Lazarus. And he was amazed at the mercy and grace of of God towards sinners, but he didn't feel that God's mercy was for him. And so he kept reading. And the Lord led him to Romans chapter 3, where he saw that God had taken away his sin through the cross of Jesus Christ. And at that moment, he believed and was saved. Soon after Cooper recovered, he left the hospital, and he began to attend the church of Pastor John Newton, a former slave ship captain, an abolitionist, and author of the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, and they became friends. William Cooper battled depression for the rest of his life. He remained a faithful Christian, but struggled to walk out the joy and the gladness that was promised to him in Christ. One of the ways that Cooper coped with his mental illness was to write poetry. Cooper looked for God's grace in the small things. His poetry, much of it, enters the space between promise and fulfillment between the things that God has promised His people and the experience of His people. One of the most memorable lines comes from a hymn he wrote called God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Cooper writes, "'Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence,' He hides a smiling face. His promises will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. A bitter bud turning sweet flower is a fitting way to describe the passage before us today. For here we meet a sweet couple faithful before God, a couple who had prayed for years that God would give them a baby. And yet for years, Elizabeth's body provided a monthly notice that God had not answered that prayer. Into the space between promise and fulfillment, God speaks. And as we shall see, God will show Himself faithful to this precious couple. But more than that, Zechariah and Elizabeth serve as a touching story that is a microcosm of God's faithfulness to His covenant people. The big idea this morning is this, that God will be faithful to keep His promises, trust Him, and remain faithful through disappointments. God will be faithful to keep His promises, remain faithful through disappointments. So, we'll outline the passage in three parts. We'll look first at a nobody chosen, in verses 5 to 10, and then we'll consider a miracle announced in verses 11 to 20. And then finally, we'll consider a miracle accomplished in verses 21 to 25. So let's have a look again at verses 5 to 10. A nobody chosen. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, of, of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments of, of the Lord. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense, and the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Now, there's so much behind verse 5 that is helpful to the story. Before the curtain fell on the Old Testament, God spoke through the prophet Malachi that a day would come when Elijah would return and bring repentance to God's people and prepare the way for God's Messiah. And then God went silent for 400 years. Much changed in the period between the Testaments between the Old Testament and the New Testament. When the Old Testament ended, the Persians ruled over God's people, and they had allowed some of the Jews to return to Jerusalem to re, re, redo the temple, rebuild the temple and restore right worship of their God. And then the Persians were conquered by the Greeks under Alexander the Great. And when Alexander the Great died, the kingdom of the Greeks was divided between Alexander the Great's generals. The Jews eventually rebelled against their general and gained independence for a little while. But along with everything else, eventually they got swallowed up by the great big Roman Empire. Herod the Great is the Herod that Luke mentions in verse 5. Rome had appointed him as king over Judea, and Herod the Great was sympathetic to the Jewish people. He was known for these colossal building projects, most notably the rebuilding of the Jewish temple which had fallen into disrepair. The temple that Jesus Himself visited was built in large part by Herod the Great. Herod the Great was also the Herod that ordered the massacre of the infants in Bethlehem as an attempt to kill Jesus. Herod the Great died somewhere around 1 B.C., when Jesus was a child. And Luke is a master storyteller, opening his gospel with this wide-angle shot on the rule and reign of the great Herod during God's 400 years of silence. And then he zooms his camera lens all the way in on one little couple, one ordinary nobody priest and his wife, childless, chosen by lottery to burn incense in the temple. Now, there were likely around 18,000 priests living in Palestine in those days, And the priesthood was divided into 24 divisions, and those divisions were further divided into different orders. And Zechariah is of the order of Abijah. Each order is chosen to serve two one-week terms in the temple every year. And they would cast lots to determine which priest would do what in the temple, sort of like drawing names out of a hat. And it was an important task working in the temple, but hardly any of those tasks was more important than the task of entering the holy place and offering incense on the altar of incense, which was something that one priest was allowed to do only once in his lifetime. And we're told that Zechariah, this nobody priest from the hill country, was chosen to burn incense in the temple. Now, the Bible teaches that everything is in the Lord's hands, that everything goes exactly according to God's plan. Even random things, like the casting of lots, is ordered by the Lord. One remembers Proverbs 16, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. There is no such thing as chance. Even the throw of dice lands exactly as God has willed it, which is something I'm reminded of every time my family plays Yahtzee. (laughs) I used to think that my wife was a witch, but now I just know that God loves her more than He loves me. And the lot fell on Zechariah, a nobody priest when we're told, uh, Mary's Elizabeth, who was one of the daughters of Aaron, which means she came from a priestly family, a ministry family. It's likely that her daddy was a priest and her granddaddy was a priest. It was common in those days for priests to marry the daughters of priests. And we know from later on in Luke that they lived in a small country in the hill in the hills of Judea. So I like to think of them as faithfully serving small synagogue in their hometown, Zechariah teaching the Bible to his small congregation week after week, taking vacation a couple times a year to go up to Jerusalem and serve in whatever way his order has been chosen to do. Luke tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. This is a precious couple, loved by God, serving Him faithfully, serving Him quietly, and serving Him for decades. They were also told they had no child. Elizabeth was barren. They had prayed for decades that God would give them a baby, and He hadn't. Month after month, a disappointing reminder that they would remain childless. And those months grew into years, and those years into decades. And now they were old, and still they had no baby. Infertility is a heavy weight to carry. The Bible teaches that children are a gift from God. And when the Lord withholds that gift from those who want them. It is a bitter and dark providence. We know that God's withholding of children from Zechariah and Elizabeth is not a judgment against them, for they are blameless, walking righteously before God. And they didn't harden their hearts against Him for years of disappointment. We're told that they remained faithful, that they loved Him and kept His commandments and kept praying for a baby, trusting that this was the Lord's doing and that He was good and that His will is good. And even though they didn't understand it and even though they probably didn't like it, they trusted Him. They trusted that God did have a purpose for their infertility. And we find out in this passage that His purpose was even greater than they could have possibly imagined. Let's keep reading, beginning at verse 11. And There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. children of Israel to the Lord their God, and He will go before Him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So, Zechariah is in the holy place preparing to burn incense. As I said, this is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And mind you, this is no small thing. There are stories of dudes doing this wrong, and they die. So certainly, Zechariah is being careful. He's trained for this his whole career. Now the temple of God is divided into different sections. There was an outer court, which was open air, which is the place where animals were sacrificed on this great big altar. Next to the altar of sacrifice, there were these um, bronze-like basins where the priests would wash. The central building in the temple complex was the holy place. And the holy place that Herod had built was huge. It was something like 60 feet high. And only priests were allowed to go into the holy place. The holy place was then further divided into two sections. With a huge curtain separating the one from the other. So as you would walk into the holy place, you would see on your left a giant golden lampstand casting its light into the room. To your right, you would see tables with bread on them called showbread. And directly in front of you would be an altar called the altar of incense, where incense would be offered and smoke would fill the room. Behind that would be the the curtain, and on the other side of the curtain was the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was held. And only one man was allowed to go in that room only once per year, the high priest, on the Day of Atonement. And on Zechariah's day, there would have been other priests chosen to do other things in the holy place. So someone would have prepared the coals, another person would have taken care of the lampstand, another guy would have taken care of the showbread. And they would have all done their job and then left the holy place. And Zechariah's job would be to take the incense and to lay it on the coals, And then to offer a prayer for God's people, and the smoke from the incense would fill the holy place, and then he would leave the holy place, and he would come out to the crowd that was gathered, and he would offer them a benediction, a blessing. Easy job. But on this day, on Zechariah's one day, the angel of the Lord appears, standing on the right side of of the altar which would have been to Zechariah's left between the altar of incense and the lampstand. And Zechariah is terrified. I mean, old fellow was probably thinking that he screwed something up, like maybe hit the wrong button or something, and all this is happening. Now he's going to die. But the angel appears and says, "Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard." How precious This is the first words that God speaks to the remnant of His covenant people is, don't be afraid. I've heard your prayers. Dear faithful Christian, I don't know what you've been praying for for decades. I don't know what godly longing has been eating at your soul. Maybe it is for a baby. Maybe it's for a prodigal son or daughter to return. Perhaps it's for the salvation of a loved one. And I don't know why God has not answered your prayers. But know this, your prayer has been heard. God has a plan and a purpose for everything He does. And just like with Zechariah and Elizabeth, God's plan for you is far greater than you can possibly imagine. Don't lose heart. Now I wonder if after Zechariah drops the incense on the coals and the smoke starts to rise and he enters into that prayer for God's people, I wonder if at the end he might have just thrown in one more chance, one more Hail Mary at the last minute pass Father, can we have a baby? Whatever it was, it was a prayer that probably didn't have much faith attached to it. And yet, boom, we have an answer. An angel drops in and says, you've been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, God knows her name. Isn't that precious? God knows her name. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Now, if the angel would have just stopped there, it would have been the best day of Zechariah's life. But he didn't stop there. While Zechariah and Elizabeth might have been ordinary folks, their son would be anything but. He will be great before the Lord. Now, before we unpack God's purpose for John the Baptist... I just would like to dwell for a second on that precious little phrase in verse 14. You will have joy and gladness. We're going to see here in a moment that John the Baptizer, the last of the Old Testament prophets, his forerunner of the Messiah, that Jesus called him the greatest man ever born to a woman, that he would have had these, this huge eschatological significance in God's redemptive plan for humanity. So this is this great big cosmic plan that God's going to do through John the Baptizer. And yet this phrase, you will have joy and gladness should not escape our notice that in the midst of God's massive and cosmic redemptive historical plan for His people, God will see to it that this ordinary faithful couple from the hill country will have their prayer answered, and they will have joy and gladness. There were 18,000 priests in Israel. Certainly, there would have been plenty of families that already had three, four, five, six children who could have used another child who could have been John the Baptizer. But God, in his wisdom, chose to give John to Zechariah and to Elizabeth, a couple who had probably lost hope that they would ever have a child. Here's what we learn about this miracle baby. We find that many will rejoice at his birth. We find that he will be great before the Lord, that he will be set apart for God's service, that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even while he's in his mother's womb, that his ministry will be to turn the children of Israel back to the Lord that he will be the fulfillment of a 400-year-old prophecy through the prophet Malachi, that the Lord will use him and the spirit of power of Elijah to bring repentance to Israel and to prepare God's people for her Messiah. John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. And it's really interesting how much he shares in common with the first of the Old Testament prophets, the prophet Samuel. Cornerstone, you would have remembered not that long ago, we worked our way through the the first and second Samuel. And you remember that Samuel was also the son given to a woman who could not have children, who prayed to the Lord and he answered her prayer. And Samuel, just like John, called God's people to repentance and to right worship. John was to withhold himself from wine and strong drink, as a part of his special consecration to the Lord. And the angel says of John the Baptist that he would go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. His ministry would pick up where the Old Testament ministries had ended. The Lord, in the same way that the Lord used the prophet Elijah to face off idolatry and wickedness in his day and call God's people to repent, God will use, use John the Baptist to do the same. Now, you remember that Elijah was taken up into heaven, and then many years later, we find through the prophet Malachi that he's coming back in the person of John. He's to carry on the ministry of Elijah, and to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he would, as the angel declares in verse 17, make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John would proclaim a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. To prepare God's people for their messiah who would come to restore God's people to himself and john would announce god's savior has come to save his people from their sins john pointed God's people just like all the old testament prophets had to their messiah to jesus christ it's an amazing prophecy of what this son would do, and Zechariah can't believe it. He can't believe it. Let's pick up reading of verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So when Zechariah says, how shall I know this? He's asking for a sign, sort of like, you expect me to believe this? I mean, I'm I'm an old man. My old wife is an old woman. We're going to have a baby? Are you kidding me? I'm going to need more than this, just your word. And the angel's like, I'm Gabriel, son. Like, I came to, you remember Daniel? You ever hear Daniel? You read Daniel? I went to him twice. I stand in the presence of God. I heard this with my own angel ears, and I was sent to come to you and to tell you this good news, this gospel. You need a sign? Here's your sign. I'm going to take your voice away. You can't speak until these things take place, and they will take place. Gabriel makes Zechariah mute because he didn't believe the word from the Lord. And so you wonder, what's the lesson in that for us? Not believing the Bible makes you dumb. That's what I get from it. (laughs) But seriously, Zechariah was a priest He would have been familiar with these prophecies from Scripture. He certainly would have recognized the significance of His Son coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. And by the time we get to the end of chapter 1, you'll see soon, when God gives Zechariah His voice back, He gets it. He understands. But why now? Why doubt? I mean, you're standing in the holy place. God's presence in a concentrated form is right beyond that curtain. And an angel shows up and speaks this to you and you can't believe it? I think many of you know, years upon years of disappointment, of unanswered prayer, can have an effect on a person. Even a righteous, blameless, Bible man like Zechariah has a hard time believing that God can do the impossible. So I wonder if you have begun to doubt God and His faithfulness. Have you allowed disappointment in your life to morph into doubt? Is there something that you've been praying for that you've just simply given up praying because you've given up hope? Hope. Are you weary and waiting for God to answer? Brother, sister, when the Lord has you under dark providence, remind yourself that God will be faithful and keep his promises. And his answer may seem impossible. You see, that's just the thing. God specializes in that which is impossible. And that's what we find in the last few verses of our reading today. Verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he had come out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. And after the, these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. Luke takes us out of the holy place to where the people are waiting. And I suspect the folks were getting a bit worried about the old fella. I mean, how hard is it to just drop some potpourri on coals? What's taking so long? Somebody's going to have to go in and get him. But he comes out finally, and they're expecting him to issue the benediction to bless them. But he can't because he's mute. And they work it out that he's seen a vision. And Zechariah finishes his duties in the temple, and he returns home to his dear wife. And the Lord has mercy, keeps His promise, and Elizabeth gets pregnant. Can you imagine what that would have been like? I mean, we don't know how old she was, but it's likely that she's past the time of women. And then suddenly, she starts craving ice and pickles (laughs) She's sending Zechariah to the gas station for chocolate late at night. And is just nodding and smiling. We're not told why Elizabeth kept herself hidden for five months. I wonder if it's just so that she could be with the Lord and thank Him for His kindness to her. And with a hand on her belly, getting bigger and tighter every day, she says, this is what my God has done for me. He's looked upon me and taken away my shame." God invaded the darkness of Elizabeth's shame with His promise and fulfillment. God invaded the darkness of 400 years of of silence with the fulfillment of His promise. He gives Elizabeth a baby boy. God looked upon Elizabeth And has taken away her shame. For a long time, theologians have celebrated the doctrine of expiation. Expiation refers to something being taken away. It explains one glorious element of the good news of Christianity. That by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary... A change has taken place in God's disposition towards sinners. Specifically, the Bible says that Jesus paid the penalty of our sin. That Jesus bore our shame and disgrace on the cross. Something that Pastor Matt read from Isaiah 53 earlier today. For all who trust in Jesus Christ, the shame of the terrible things that we have done or not done is taken away. And God, by looking upon His Son, carrying His people's shame in His body, is now able to look at His people and see no shame. His people stand before the Lord clean righteous, and in God's favor. So, Christian or non-Christian, no matter what you have done, when you turn to the Lord, trusting in Jesus Christ for forgiveness, your shame is taken away. If you've never done that, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, confessing your sin, laying your life before Jesus and giving your life to Him, Do that today. Do that before you leave here. If you would like to know more about becoming a Christian and having shame lifted off of your life and God's favor given to you, talk to someone who is a regular around here. Better yet, stick around for the dinner afterwards and talk to someone. We would love to talk to you more about this Jesus and how you can walk a life free of shame, in forgiveness, and under God's favor. Cornerstone and Pickle Baptist Church, you can trust the Lord. He may bring you through hard and difficult and disappointing times. He may withhold answers to your prayers. Trust that He is good. Trust that He will be faithful and keep His Word. And look to His cross as a proof that God has not forget, forsaken you and He's not forgotten you. Truth be told, though, none of us have handled disappointment the way that we should. Many of us, if not all of us, have despaired in disappointment, have allowed doubts to creep up in our lives. All of us have taken matters into our own hands, doing things our way rather than God's way. But the good news is that your Savior knows exactly what it's like to have a prayer go unanswered. And nevertheless, he submitted himself to his Father's will and went to the cross anyway on your behalf, which means that in every single way you have failed to remain faithful Jesus hasn't, and when you turn to Him in faith, you are granted His faithfulness to His Father. God credits Jesus' faithfulness to you by faith, as if you had done it, as if you had remained faithful to your Father, and you can rejoice today in the comfort that the gospel brings you can rejoice today that you have God's favor in Christ, and that will never change. William Cooper battled depression his whole life, right up until the moment when Jesus took him home and his darkness was swallowed up in the light of God's grace. And when finally he received the joy and gladness God had promised him, And so you can heed your brother's counsel. For he stands forever in the presence of God to testify to you that it is true. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste but sweet will be the flower. Let's pray. Great is your faithfulness. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It is new every morning. And Lord, we confess that we have not been faithful. In the waiting, we have despaired. We have felt that there was more deserved by us than what providence had brought. And we have taken matters into our own hands. Lord, when we ought to have trusted you and thanked you, we turn from you. And we know that all things, whether they feel to us good or bad, are from you. And we know that your ways are higher than our ways. And yet, Father, we sometimes act as if we know what's better for us, Will you forgive us? Father, would you let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering? We know that you, who have given us these great and wonderful promises, are faithful. And though we be faithless, you still are faithful. Would you enable us, your people, to trust you in the dark times? We thank you for the blessing that you gave to our grandmother Elizabeth, and we thank you for reminding us today that you will keep your word and that you will remove every source of our shame. Amen. If you're trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, the Bible offers you an assurance of pardon. Our assurance of pardon today comes from Psalm 185, verse 2. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all of their sins.